Hi, this is Joe from the Be Kind Podcast, part of the Animal Advocates of South Central PA's mission to create a more compassionate world for all living beings. Today, I am joined by Monzi, who's calling in via phone. Hi, Monzi. Hi, how are you? Doing all right, just sitting at home. I'll take you a break in my reading to do some little podcasting. Would you just like to introduce yourself for the listeners so they know exactly who I'm talking to? Sure. Uh, so my name is Nancy Baguari. I live in Philadelphia. I am the co-founder of Liberation Philadelphia, which is an animal rights organization here in Philly. We do a lot of outreach, protests, disruptions, uh, and uh, my goal is to reach as many people, you know, vegans, non-vegans, pre-vegans, whatever you want to call them, as many people as possible within the tri-state Philadelphia area. Something I always like to start out with is just talking about how people have been veganing recently, which is just what kind of weird vegan thing have you been into? I have been into actually cereal. So I've been having like things like Cheerios and stuff like that that's super boring but still super vegan. So what have you been up to recently? Oh, since I've been in quarantine, I've been eating a lot of the Daya mac and cheese and a lot of ramen noodles. I mean, even though I like to cook, I don't want to cook three times a day. And since I've been at home, so much I've been eating a lot of like vegan junk. Everyone needs their little comforts during these times especially, right? I agree. Um, so what is your vegan journey? How did you find yourself to be the vegan you are today? Okay, so it all started when, well, actually I grew up in India and I grew up eating meat and it wasn't so much as like an everyday food as it was a delicacy, so we would only eat meat on Sundays. The thing about India is we, at that time, maybe 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have supermarkets, um, we didn't have malls. So we would just go out to buy meat from live markets and I would accompany my parents and it never sat well with me to, you know, watch the animals getting killed right in front of my eyes. So I would come home and I would be sad and depressed about it, um, you know, but since it was part of my culture, everybody's like, this is healthy, so you should eat it, it's part of our culture, it's part of our religion. So I did eat it, but then... When I was 16, I decided that enough was enough, and I became a vegetarian. It took me a while to make that connection between dairy and eggs and violence. So once I made that connection, actually, thanks to PETA, decided to that I did not want to be a vegetarian anymore. I wanted to become a vegan. And then once I discovered, you know, being vegan... Just being vegan was not enough for me. So I started volunteering with the Humane League. And then eventually, I just founded Liberation Philadelphia, and now I, I love doing activism along with being a vegan. And when did you move to the United States from India? Oh, uh, I moved here in 2008. I got my master's degree from the University of Pittsburgh in occupational therapy, and then I moved to Philadelphia because I got a job here. And since then, I've been in Philadelphia. It's been about 11 years since I've been in Philly. And were you vegan before you moved here? I'm sorry if I missed that earlier. No, I was not vegan when I moved to the U.S. I was a vegetarian when I moved to the U.S. And I may have not been super in tune to it at the time, but what is the differences you see between the United States and India from, I guess, a vegetarian and a veganism perspective? Yeah, so I think one of the major differences is the amount of meat that is consumed here in the U.S. versus 
the amount that is consumed in India. So in India, we have many, many different sects and religions who some of them do not consume meat uh, and some of them do. Uh, but India is a very dairy-heavy country, so all of our uh, culture, so it's easy to be a vegetarian in India, but it's not that easy to be vegan in India because social customs, you know, you go to somebody's home, they always offer you tea, and denying to drink that tea is blasphemy. Uh, they're they're going to get mad at you, you know, they might throw tea in your face, you know, uh, but it, so I think that's the main main difference is People usually understand if you tell them that you don't eat meat, but the moment you tell them you're not going to drink the tea that has milk in it or you're not going to eat the, the desserts that has milk in it, uh, they're going to get upset with you. So I think that's one of the main things to navigate. With my family, I had to put my foot down. Uh, they kind of understood uh, it was important for me to be vegan, and they understood like the ethical animal cruelty part of it but they were not ready to take the step to go vegan. Uh, so I could put my foot down and I had to tell them that if they loved me, they would go vegan. And I actually helped them uh, go vegan. And, and now my, my immediate family is vegan, but my extended family, they're, they're not there yet at all. Wow, that is really impressive. I know there are many a vegan out there who would love to have that same claim that they turned their whole families vegan, and you actually did it. What was your secret? Oh, I, you just have to fight with them. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's all you can do, right? It's like emotional manipulation. It's like you tell them, uh, and it's true too, but you, you tell them, if you love me, then you won't do this thing that hurts me. And I think that kind of just, got to them so so maybe that's why they decided to go vegan yeah that's such an interesting way to put it because so many times people have conversations along the lines of if you loved me you'd stop smoking if you loved me you mm-hmm. would drink less and things like that and that seems perfectly fine when you tell people that but if you tell someone if you loved me you'd stop doing this terrible thing that i think is just reprehensible and hurting all these creatures but it means you have to give up your uh, cheese and milk and meat and all of a sudden, you sound ridiculous. I know, but I think uh, that there are like two different perspectives. One is the perspective where you look at it as if you're giving up something. And the other perspective is where well, you're not actually giving it up. You're just substituting one ingredient with another. And in the process, you're saving all these lives. So that's how I like to look at it. And I'm, I'm glad that my parents and my sister, they're supportive enough that they have taken the step. Um, to go vegan and I know that this is not possible for everybody but I think the best thing to do especially with your immediate family is to just sit down and have like this heart-to-heart conversation with them yeah when you're telling me the story about the tea I was thinking that sounds like every Thanksgiving dinner where the first time vegan refuses grandma's apple pie because there's butter in it but every single time you go over to someone's house you're in that same situation where you would deeply offend somebody because you won't eat whatever food they made. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really tough to kind of navigate that because traditions are important, right, because they bring our families together. Uh, but I think it's important to have that conversation that we're not throwing away the tradition. We're throwing away something that's, you know, harmful, not just to the, the animals that had to die. It's harmful for the environment. It's harmful for your own health. So we're just throwing that part away. We're, we're keeping the traditions themselves, right? 
So last Thanksgiving, so my husband is actually from Colombia, and uh, his family still eats meat. So last year, we, when we went for Thanksgiving, we took a turkey uh, roast for the first time. They stopped eating, like, uh, you know, like turkey a long time ago, but they still consume meat for Thanksgiving. But we took the turkey roast, and everybody actually gave it a try. And while I'm sure that for this Thanksgiving, it's not like it's going to be a vegan Thanksgiving, but at least we planted those seeds that, like, look, this is something that's delicious that you can eat, and you don't have to kill an animal for that. So I think that it's different for everybody, but it's important to keep trying and to be consistent. Always invite families to vegan restaurants, you know, cook vegan food for them and have them try it out. Yeah, uh, my last guest actually said you catch more flies with honey than anything else. So it sounds like that's kind mm-hmm. of along the lines of what you're thinking with working with your family members. Exactly. So tell us a little bit more about your uh, advocacy work. Well, I kind of uh, got into it by accident. I was looking for uh, a place to volunteer because I've always like grown up with that mindset that you have to give back to your community wherever you are. So I was looking up and I, I've always loved animals, so I decided that I wanted to do something in the volunteer in the animal rights uh, field. So I was looking at PETA, and then I found uh, the Humane League in Philadelphia, and then I started volunteering with them. And to be honest, I was not aware of all the the practices, the cruel practices that go on in the animal agriculture industry, or any other industry for that matter, but... The, the agriculture industry, you know, the gestation craze and <clears throat> dairy and how bad that is and the male chicks dying in the egg industry, like all of that, it just had a huge impact on me. And I realized that I wanted to do something more for the animals. So I wanted to take an abolitionist approach, not just a welfareist approach. And so I decided to join Direct Action Everywhere and then we just thought that maybe it's better to just start our own thing. And then we started Liberation Philadelphia. And we have been doing disruptions uh, inside grocery stores. The most recent one before the quarantine was the one that we did at Whole Foods. Uh, and we usually get a lot of good responses. I know there are people who, who laugh in our faces. But a lot of times people will come up to us and say, we didn't know this. And I, we tell them that, yes, we were one of you, because we didn't know this either. Uh, and now we do. We can either continue doing what we have been doing for years, or we can open our eyes and stop doing this thing that's harmful and violent. And so, so that's what we are doing now. Uh, people are, I think people are really interested because a lot of people just don't know that these things are happening. So when you tell them, they're very interested in knowing more and taking those steps. That's that's interesting and really fascinating to me because it sounds like you are all for the incremental changes when it comes to your family life and your personal connections, but how does that embrace you know, those incremental changes? Like maybe they do meatless Mondays or have one vegan dish at Thanksgiving or, some, or give up cheese but still eat eggs. How does that factor into your abolitionist perspective when it comes to advocacy? So I'm okay with that, again... Everybody's circumstances are different, you know, especially the the younger kids who are still staying at home with their parents or people who have big families and uh, can't really just go vegan overnight. 
it's okay for them if they want to try Meatless Mondays or if they, uh, you know, practice reduced vegetarianism. At first, with the ultimate goal of taking all animal products out of their um, their lifestyle, I think it's okay uh, with me if they, if they make those incremental changes with the ultimate goal of going vegan. And also, food is like one aspect of veganism, right, which gets talked about the most uh, because we eat food three, sometimes six times a day. But there are other aspects that people can make changes right away, right? Um, like cosmetics, There's a lot of women still don't know that the cosmetics that they use are tested on animals. So that can, that's a change that we can make right away. There are so many brands now that are uh, vegan and cruelty-free. Uh, clothing is another uh, area where you can make changes right away. You don't have to wear fur or leather. There are so many other options now. Uh, these kind of things, I think there are like changes that can be made immediately and then there are changes that can come in incrementally as long as people decide to go vegan eventually. Something we run into a lot at the Animal Advocates is when we do the um, virtual reality experiences or the pay-per-view experiences where we show them what goes on behind the scenes at slaughterhouses or testing and the atrocities that happen is people say yeah that's terrible but i'm still not going vegan how do you typically respond to that or what is your reaction to someone's reaction yeah that's that's a very good question and i've actually struggled with it uh going back and forth between telling them well then this is not the right message for you or or you know just getting angry at them but i'm learning learning to be more patient but what I tell them is at least take this information with you and look into it a little bit more because sometimes when when we see that violence, it takes a while for it to kind of register. Um, so I, I tell them, take this information and go home and look into this. And you don't have to go vegan overnight. You can start making smaller changes. And I think that the health argument works a lot better with people when you tell them, okay, if you don't want to go vegan for, for, you know, the ethics part, which I think everybody should go vegan because of the ethics. But if you don't want to consider that aspect, well, then at least consider your own health. And that sometimes works with people, but sometimes it's just, well, then maybe this message is, you're not ready to receive the message yet, but at least here's some information that should make you think and maybe, you know, find some seeds in your head yeah i'm along the same lines where i hear that and i i'm always so quick to judge or think in my head well then you're a terrible person but then i think of all the loved ones i have that know all this too and still aren't vegans like well are they terrible people now like how should i feel about them so i think as long as yeah you're just there trying to meet people where they are and frame it in a way that's relevant to them but it's so hard for me especially mm -hmm. to not take it personally sometimes or not just kind of scratch my head and bang my head against a wall. I know what you mean. No, I was just going to say, so, and then there are other people who just, like, scream in your face, say whatever, bacon, or I'm going to go home and eat a cheesesteak. And those are the people that I, I don't even, like, try to talk to because they're, they're not definitely there yet. Yeah, it's uh, almost like the Goldilocks of uh, who you want to advocate mm -hmm. to. You don't want to go to only veg fest and advocate because you're kind of preaching to the choir but you don't okay. want to go to uh butchers united of pittsburgh 
and advocate there too because that would just be kind of a waste of everyone's time. You got to find that person who's right in the middle, who's on the edge, and you just got to push them over. Right. So that's a good way to put put it. Uh, I've never thought about it like that, but the Goldilocks zone. Uh, so do you have any uh, cool stories about the kind of disruption work you've been doing that you'd like to share? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, actually, this is a visual that we did. So we do, we used to do monthly vigils outside a live market in Philadelphia, and you'll be surprised how many live markets there are in the city. This one live market, we were going there week after week, you know, we were uh, getting to know the, the workers there, and they would, every Saturday we would go there, and the workers would be like, oh, here they are, back again, you know, um, to bother us. But then we were able to form enough of a, of a board with them that the workers actually um, started saying that they can help us save animals. And we were able to rescue, so far we have rescued, I think, three or four hens from that life market because the workers actually came up, came up to us and said that, hey, here, we want to like, help you save this animal. And then all of those animals obviously are... Uh, now at sanctuaries or in micro sanctuaries and living the you know the life that they deserve. But this, I think that was a very interesting experience for me because here we are thinking that people who work in slaughterhouses, you know, um, how can they do this job? And it's true they they actually don't want to do that job. Um, they would come up to the, the activists and they would say, "Well, we don't want to do this job. Find us another job, and we'll quit this job." Uh, and that's something that we are actually trying to do in Philadelphia. We are trying to convert uh, life markets into urban farms where we can grow plants instead of uh, killing animals there. So the workers can keep their jobs and, you know, instead of killing animals, they're now growing plants. So that's something that we are actually working on. It's, it's going to be like a long-term project. It's going to take a long time. But, but I thought that was really interesting that even they were open to help the activists save, save them lives. I love that because you're not only saving the animals, but you're also leading them to be more compassionate towards animals as well, which will have such an exponential effect on the community at large because now they'll go out and be more compassionate towards animals because of what you were doing. And you're also taking into account the reality of the situation where it's their job. I and mean, it's like when somebody says, well, if we all went vegan overnight, what would happen to all these poor workers and all that while well, you're taking that into account in what you're trying to do. So that's great. And something else I'd like to touch on is the diversity in the vegan movement in general. I've been to a few vegan things. They look around the table and there's not a whole lot of diversity. It's typically um, a bunch of white people from middle class to upper middle class backgrounds. And I, so as someone from a diverse background such as yourself, what are your thoughts on the diversity within the vegan movement and how would you recommend that people work on engaging those different population groups and individuals? Oh, that, that's a good question, because obviously we need people from all walks of life, you know, all, all races, all, all ethnicities to participate in going vegan. And uh, as, as, as usual, right, the people of color are oppressed more than, say, like white people. You know, most people of color who are also immigrants are the ones actually working in slaughterhouses and doing this job of, of killing animals, sometimes thousands of them in a, in a day. So we definitely need to address this, the, uh, what's it called, the food insecurity part and 
the oppression of people who are working in slaughter or in like uh, leather made farms. But again, I feel like going to these, going into these communities with people from those communities is probably the best way to get them involved. Um, so again, like my husband is from Colombia, so giving you a personal example, we started going outside of Walmart in the northeast Philadelphia, which is like a majority Hispanic area, and my my husband's Hispanic. So he, the conversations that he had with them um, were were really so much better than conversations that I have seen some people who are not from that community have with them. They were just more open to uh, engaging and asking questions and getting information. So I think one way to do that is to just uh, go into the community with the representatives from that community and try to engage that community. Uh, and outreach is probably the best way to do that. And the other thing is when someone from a minority or an oppressed community tells you something, listen. Don't go to them and say, no, no, but, but. You know, when they tell you that that we have all these other problems that we also have to think about, listen to them and try to fight for both uh, the, the animals' rights and the human rights, too, because human rights are animal rights, right, because we're all animals. So I think that listening to the people from the community is a very important step. Listening and then acting upon what they listen to and really taking it in, I think, is huge and key as well. Exactly. And well, we're coming up uh, half an hour, so I won't take up too much of your time, but is there any final thoughts or anything else you want to get in? Well, first I wanted to thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, keep listening to this podcast because I think it's so important to talk about these issues and you know get the message out there. And um, in closing, I just want to say to people, you know, go vegan because that's the future. The future is vegan, right? Ain't it the truth? And if anyone wants to uh, contact you or get involved with your organization or advocacy, where should they go? Yeah, so we have a, a Facebook page called Liberation Philadelphia. If they go to Facebook and like us there, we can uh, keep them updated about the events we're having. We're still a very grassroots organization, but we are working on having a website. But once the website is published, we'll put all that information on Facebook as well. Yeah, but I'll make sure I include that contact info in the show notes as well. And if you ever want to get a hold of uh, anyone from the Be Kind podcast team, just email BeKindPodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, or even have you on as a guest. So thank you again, Monzi. I hope you are doing as well as you can be during these challenging times. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too.